Hi everyone, welcome to today's KW Feedcast. It's the 27th of February 2024 and it's myself, Chris Davidson. Just a bit of an update on where things are. We've seen quite a bit of sliding in the prices of most commodities over the past two, three, four weeks. But just beginning to see the signs that that's beginning to come to an end. Certainly in the short term anyway, we've seen quite a bit of resistance at, at certain levels across these commodities, which has just led to slight bounces and certainly a sort of slowdown in the decreases that we've seen over, over those weeks. So I will kick off with cereals, which uh, continue to be the, the biggest movers, I would say, over, over that period of time. We've seen the UK futures tumbling almost daily, really, for, for quite some time now, following the, the European wheat prices down and generally a, a bit of a malaise in, in these cereal markets as we've progressed over that time. The biggest reason, and I know we touched on it last time for all of this, is is simply the amount of material coming out of the Black Sea. Uh, and more importantly, in the more recent weeks and months is where it's actually ending up. And Ukraine continues to be the biggest issue from European point of view, hence why we see numerous farmer protests now that are happening around Europe in various, various different guises. There's a real push from farmers across those countries to get the EU to put some sort of restriction on the amount of material that is coming in from Ukraine. To put it in perspective, before the war, Europe would probably take somewhere between one and three million tonnes of Ukrainian wheat and barley. And already this crop year, we've seen six million tonnes making its way into Europe, with the majority of it going through to Spain. And what it's doing is meaning that the inter-EU trade that historically would have happened, so the UK selling to, to those countries, France selling to those countries, is just not happening because they can source it all cheaper from Ukraine and therefore those European countries that would normally be buyers are no longer there and the farmers that are producing it are now really struggling to find homes for their material. And that's ultimately where we are today and where the what has led to these prices falling as much as they have. And as we look forward, the weather in both Russia and Ukraine has been pretty favourable for plantings, pretty favourable for crop growing conditions. And, you know, ultimately, as a result, without some sort of intervention, you could argue that there's no real end in sight to that problem that the EU is currently facing. As well as being able to export to the EU, the Ukrainians continue to make big progress in their uh, exports out of Odessa. And levels out of that port now are at pre-war levels. So they've got their old markets and their new European markets to supply. And whilst they produce a, a very, very big crop, they're obviously quite keen to, to move this grain as much as they can. So we're seeing some good export levels coming out of Ukraine, both to Europe and to the rest of the world now. At the same time as Russia continues to be a big supplier and ultimately the benchmark when it comes to low prices because of how much they've produced in this year, and they continue to to export to as many of the countries as they can. I know we we touched on it before that the Red Sea continues to impact, and that whilst has gone a bit quiet in the news, continues to be an issue from a actual shipping point of view. So again, this Black Sea wheat is ultimately trying to find its way to destinations that historically it hasn't done, and that uh, continues to put a bit of pressure on the European and the UK prices. So those futures of have fallen heavily. We're well off our highs now. We're certainly back to pre-war levels. And you know, May has tried to test the 160 mark 
from the UK point of view uh, and has failed. It's definitely met quite a bit of resistance to that sort of money. And we've also seen some evidence that those Ukrainian imports are just beginning to slow as these European and UK prices finally get to the point of, of being competitive. But having bounced off the 160 and pushing back now towards the sort of 165, 166 mark, the question will be whether we go back down and test it. And usually these markets tend to do that in some shape or form. So the next few weeks, I think, will be quite key as to the, the general direction for, for wheat futures. But I wouldn't be surprised to see us go and try and test 160 again. And whether we break through it or not will be pretty key as to the, the overall direction of travel. The push from European farmers to get the EU state to make some sort of intervention will continue. It's one of those where double-edged swords, really, where I, I can certainly see the argument from the farmer's point of view, and I can see, obviously, the, the impact they're trying to make. But I would be quite surprised to see the European state make some sort of intervention at this stage. So short term, we I think we'll continue to see the supply of material from the Black Sea is the biggest driver in prices over the you know the coming months. On the demand side of things, though, we are seeing again another relatively positive sign for for at least supporting prices at these levels. The ethanol margins seem to have improved across Europe, so we're seeing evidence that both Bavergo and and Ensis are, are gearing up for an increased production level, looking to buy some wheat in the nearby and, and obviously then potentially through the summer as well. So if we see a recovery in some of the demand side of things from the ethanol producers, then that will obviously provide some sort of support, particularly from a UK point of view. You would also argue as well with, with London wheat falling as much as it has, that it's starting to look attractive for export. And ultimately, a big chunk of what this market's been trying to do is prevent exports from happening because we want to make sure that we can carry crop from this year into the next given the uh, the concerns we have around the growing conditions that we've seen so far, the winter plantings, and all of those things we've discussed, discussed before. We are just beginning to see some sort of indication as to what the crops might look like as we head from winter into spring. France has started to release some of their ratings, and we've seen levels at around 68% good to excellent which sounds great, really. I mean, certainly if we ever saw that on a regular basis from a soya point of view, for example, would be jumping for joy. But if you compare it to last year, where it's 98% good to excellent, you can see the difference in the two crops so far. And ultimately, that remains a concern for us. And we'll need to see how that plays out. But I think it's a pretty good indication of where Europe largely sits from a production point of view. You know, the next four, five, six weeks, we'll start to get a much clearer picture on what that looks like and therefore have a better view as to what's going to happen. The continued wet weather is a concern from a spring planting point of view. We're seeing pretty regular rainfall across many of the growing countries in, in Europe. France in particular seems to be getting some very heavy rains, and that will obviously be a concern if it continues. Forecasts don't look overly favourable for, for much improvement in the short to medium term. So it's definitely one to watch as we as we head into spring. As well as wheat falling, the maize has continued to fall as well. Uh, we've seen Brazil get off to a really good start with their second crop maize that's going in after the soya. The harvest progress on soya has been pretty reasonable and they've done a really, really good job of just almost following the uh, the combines and planting the maize straight behind it. So 
roughly about 80% of that second crop has already been planted, which considering the concerns we had only two, three, four, five weeks ago, it's it's a pretty impressive number to have reached already. But the uh, the reality is that sort of optimum window for planting is beginning to close. So there is still room for the loss of acreage we spoke about before. And obviously, there's still another 20% to go, which, which leaves a, a bit of room for losses, coupled with the fact that saying they're 80% planted is one thing, but how much have they actually planted compared to what they normally would have done means that we're still, you know, we're looking at that as a risk as we as we head forward. Even longer term, the US is drawing up plans for an in, increase of uh, inclusion of ethanol to E15 level. So that will again provide further support for the maize and soyas and things like that as the demand for the the head products to produce ethanol increases, but that that will kick in around 2025, we believe, as things stand. That's one to watch on the maize, but I think ultimately, as we've just said with wheat, we are largely awash with maize at the moment, whether it be from the US, whether it be from South America, where the harvest is starting, or whether it be from uh, the Black Sea, where Russia and Ukraine continue to have ample material to offer, offer the world. We sit having approached multi-year lows on these products, but also approaching sort of technical support levels that that do seem to be holding at this stage and just preventing any further falls in them. So we're looking on maize, for example, having attempted to break through the sort of $4 barrier from a mark futures point of view, then failing, starting to just bounce back up in the same way as we just described from from a UK wheat point of view. It's one where I think we'll probably see markets just begin to stabilise for a period of time whilst we assess the impact of weather on European crops. We assess the impact of potential cold weather coming up in the uh, Ukrainian and Russian areas of, of planting and also you know, what the US do from a from a planting point of view is, uh, as we approach May and, and the crops start going in the ground over there. So cereals, I think, having seen some pretty drastic falls, are just beginning to settle out and still, as I said, almost at the top of this, I think what happens in Russia and Ukraine and whether the EU do something about the imports into European countries will be the biggest dictator of where UK and EU prices go. But we've got to be really mindful of these weather issues that we've experienced so far and may well continue to experience as we head into the spring. The proteins is a pretty similar story. Prices have continued to slide. I think we were certainly more bearish on protein than we have been on on cereals for a little while now. And that doesn't really change. I think we again, we're probably just beginning to see some sort of resistance, some sort of support level at the $330 mark on soya. It's tried to break through that a couple of times and failed. I think we're probably just approaching a holding pattern on, on soya after such a big fall in such a short space of time. Brazilian crop is well on its way to being harvested, sort of Mato Grosso, the key growing state is about 76% done. And ultimately, the Brazil are there to supply the world with soya at the moment. So the demand for the US material has dropped off heavily. And that obviously has an impact on uh, the Chicago trade and, and the part of why we've seen prices fall as much as we have. But now that that harvest is pretty much done, is already priced into the market and ultimately is the cheapest source. We're, we're just starting to see those soy prices um, level off and at least at least find a little bit of support after uh, such a heavy fall. You can now buy 
summer soya for most people delivered somewhere in the 350s to early 360s and obviously when you compare that to where this was a year ago there's a huge difference in price uh, and we're just beginning to start to see people buying into that quite heavily now after after seeing the sort of bounce off the bottom i think as we head further forward we still have the potential for further downside but it's probably not going to be until in anything hugely significant probably not going to be until we get to the end of april into early may the argentinian harvest would be done the us plantings indications will be a lot clearer and obviously we'll have a view as to what the weather looks like going into that early planting window but as it stands we're still expecting to see losses in the brazilian crop the hope expected gains in argentinian crop up to the sort of 52 million ton mark probably feel a bit over exaggerated and somewhere in the region of 48 to 50 is where we'd expect to be but we still sit very much with South America producing somewhere in the region of 20 to 25 million tonnes more than last year and everything pointing towards a higher acreage of soya at the expense of wheat and maize in the US and therefore further downside to come if all of those things are realised over the next three or four months. Short term, though, I would say these markets are pretty tight on proteins and that's definitely one to watch as we head into that early part of summer. The discount for after the boats arrive in May compared, well, April would be somewhere in the region of £40 a tonne. But actually buying spot soya right now is proving incredibly difficult because boats are late. Shippers are running out of material because they're trying to keep inventories as low as possible, given the, the drop off in price going into the summer. And I think we'll see that continue as we, we move forward. There's always a risk that these boats end up being late, markets get tight, and therefore the prices rise. So do think it's time to be putting down a decent chunk of that, that summer material at these levels and then waiting for, for next winter to see whether or not the US plantings give us a bit more, more downside in that one. On the other proteins, we sit with rape finding its own support levels, have done for a little while now, I would say it's it's been bobbing around at similar sorts of levels for a good couple of weeks now. We know that the soya has been pretty bearish, but we've also spoke before about the fact that rape is just beginning to find its own little story with concerns around the Canadian crop, concerns around the EU crop, and ultimately just strong demand for the product because of how competitive it is leading to the, these prices just starting to steady off. Demand is getting stronger, I would say, as well. So again, in the nearby position, it's very, very tight on, on availability. Fixings in the south in particular continue to close up very regularly and you can't book a new fixing now until at least mid-March. So I think that will continue to support levels in the short term and then as we get into the summer and more and more of the, uh, the book gets sold, we'll just see those rate prices begin to uh, to tighten up again and uh, and ultimately rise at some point. Sunflower is generally pressuring that whole kind of mid-protein oil seed product though. So there is a lid on where the rate can go because sunflower oil is is winning the story and therefore the sunflower meal is making its way into rations, particularly across Europe, where again, the Ukrainians seed and Ukrainian oil is is really kind of driving these markets lower. So overall on the, on the soya to kind of wrap that up, still long term, pretty bearish, but short to medium term, think it's time to be uh, just covering off the risk of, of those boats being late and at least getting the early part of summer done. I think a similar sort of story on the mid proteins, the demand for them will be strong. 
and I think Rape in itself has already done a pretty good job of building its book at the expense of other products. And therefore, as we move forward, I think it's starting to hopefully take advantage of some of the more aggressive distillers prices that we're starting to see now that ethanol margins have improved. So Vivergo and Ensis are, are certainly out there at the moment trying to win back some of that business that they, they've maybe lost to Rape already and, and win their share of the ration. So distillers are fast becoming the uh, the best value source of mid-protein, I would say, and certainly, and therefore, given soy prices still where they are, probably sort of the strongest potential buy for from a protein point of view. If we want to touch on other products, uh, the soy hulls levels have continued to fall, again, on a similar sort of story to what's happening in in the soya. But as we approach the Argentinian harvest, the Argentinian farmer is starting to sell a little bit more. Therefore, the crushers are able to be more aggressive in their, their forward sales. So the those levels have, have dropped off. And as much as I'd like to say are commanding some interest, the reality is there just doesn't seem to be a huge amount of demand for fibre at this stage. So for those who are looking for it, now is normally the time to to get your soya hulls covered because the, the Argentinian crusher and the Argentinian market is aggressive and trying to sell it. And then obviously once they've sold the, the sort of volumes that they want to sell, the price just starts to increase because Argentina is the biggest supplier of, of soy hulls to the world. So they they pretty much dictate where those levels are going to go. Sugar beet levels, so we're still waiting for offers for the summer. So not a lot to comment on on, on that one at this stage. And um, as we've we've I suppose we've always said for, for quite some time now, the Nova Pro continues to just grow in terms of its volume and its demand because of the simple reason that it's there to replace soya. And it's doing a really good job on the farms that it's going to and in the um, in the manufacturing side and the blending side that it's being used in. It is displacing that soya, it's delivering in the ration. And the fact that it ticks the boxes from a sustainability point of view, from a deforestation point of view, and more importantly, from a carbon footprint point of view, is really starting to, to see the volumes in that grow. So now that we've finally seen soya just begin to level off a little bit, the rate market, if anything, just begins to creep back up. The Nova Pro is just a great opportunity for those looking for bypass protein to uh, to get things firmed up. And touching on that one, I know, again, we've mentioned it in previous episodes of this, but I do think it's really vital that, that people are aware that you just can't buy soya for 2025 at this stage because of all of the regulations that are due to come in force in Europe and the UK in the next 12 months, meaning it's very difficult for the shippers to truly understand what they can actually do to meet those regulations and therefore what the cost of meeting them are going to be as and when they're able to finally do it. So it's all well and good sitting here saying that soy prices have fallen, we're at multi-year lows, let's start looking about taking forward cover, but there is a real risk there that the inability to cover for 2025 will come back to bite us if we're not careful because we'll miss the opportunity. So use the products that we can get, the home-produced rape, the Rape Expeller, the Nova Pros, the Distillers, to make sure that you are covering that protein basket in those further forward months that um, are looking really attractive. I hope that's been useful. As always, give us a call in the office or speak to your local sales specialist. Uh, we're always here to help. We'll leave all of that with you and hope you all have a good day.